Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We are to be not overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. How do you respond to evil? When someone abuses you, slanders you, hurts you, disappoints you, lies to you, lies about you, kicks you, deceives you, how do you respond? How do I respond with that? Let me tell you, we think love is a feeling and an emotion. Love is something you do. Love, agape love, is something that God empowers his sons and daughters to do in Christ Jesus. We are to love without hypocrisy, with a pure love. The truth is, evil has already been defeated. It's just a matter of time. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, The Ultimate Weapon, and encourages you with the proven truth that the cross of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit are your ultimate victory against evil. Stay tuned, that message is next. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, The Ultimate Weapon. During the Second World War, only one U.S. general was captured. General Jonathan Wainwright was captured by the Japanese. He was placed into a prison camp in Mongolia. When the war ended, MacArthur had won peace treaty was signed, but way in Mongolia, they had no way of communication. So a period of time went by, and the general there in captivity knew nothing about it. The Japanese there in that prison encampment knew nothing about it until finally a, an American plane landed near by in an airfield. An officer walked over there to the prison camp, and there was General Wainwright now crippled with a cane, the years of being there as a prisoner of war had taken its toll, and this officer went outside the base and saluted the general, and he said, the Japanese have surrendered. Wainwright returned and began to hobble to the office of the commandant there at the prison camp, and he went in. And he looked at the Japanese officer and he said, my commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief. I am in control. I order you to surrender to me. And the officer did. Wainwright took over that prison and subsequently all the prisoners we're set free. We've been studying evil, and I want to announce that there's still some mopping up operations to go, and the news hadn't been clearly broadcast, but Jesus Christ on the cross won the victory forever. It was an expensive victory, the cross of Christ. In the meantime, you and I are still in this world, and we see a lot of evil. We've talked about evil in the cosmic area. We've talked about evil in the 
cultural area. We talked about evil of nations. But we haven't really brought it down, zeroed in on you and zeroed in on me personally. You see, we have just got it right there. Evil up there, out there, over there. But now we look how evil operates in your life and in my life. And therefore, we come to our study. And the last verse of Romans chapter 12 says how we are to handle evil. It's very simple, but it is so, so, so profound. Romans 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does that look like? How does that operate? Back in 1987, some were not even born then. Some of you may remember that little barge just full of garbage, some 3,000 pounds of garbage that set sail from Long Island, remember, was going to find a place to dump the garbage. Now the whole story has come out. Evidently, some kind of mafia don there in New York had worked up a scheme with the, his mafia equivalent in Louisiana, and the plan was to take the garbage from that Eslick township, put in that little barge, it was to sail all the way down the East Coast and go into Louisiana and dump all the garbage into the swamp there, into the marsh. I hear there are swamps in Louisiana. And the deal was that that would produce methane gas, and they have a way of capturing that gas, and they would sell it. Half the profits would go to the crooks in Louisiana, and half the profits would go to the crooks in New York, and they would continue this process. But something happened. The Louisiana connection didn't come through, and the barge had already left Long Island and was en route, and now the barge had to find some place to unload the garbage. <laughs> Problem. And they tried to unload it in Virginia. They tried to unload it in North Carolina. And then the media got an odor of this scheme. Just the media began to smell something rotten. That's back when the media could smell. And so they followed the saga of this barge. Remember, it went on for weeks. And the barge tried to unload the garbage in, in uh, Georgia and in Florida, went down in the Caymans and, and went, tried to go to different islands. And they came back into Mississippi and Alabama. And finally, they sailed all the way back to New York. Cost them over a million dollars in the trip. And they still were loaded with garbage. And they went right back where they came from, and they found a place that called the graveyard something and dumped all the garbage there right back on Long Island where they began. What do you do with garbage? Now, we're into waste management, right? Waste management is Old Testament stuff. In the Old Testament, they would bring their sacrifices 
They'd confess their sin on different days of atonement, and the sin would be covered, remember, covered by the blood of animals and doves, etc. But that's Old Testament. That's waste management, garbage management. In the New Testament, there is garbage elimination. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, eliminates the garbage, obliterates the trash, throws out the waste and destroys it until it is no more. That's what happened on the cross. Now, it's interesting to take the understanding of evil and sin and garbage and trash and waste and, and sort of see how it operates in your life and in my life. It's also interesting to observe that you look at the major religion of the world in the abolition of man by Lewis again. He takes all the ethical principles of the major religions and he puts them alongside one another and they are a lot alike. No murder, no stealing, property rights, etc. A lot of the ethical principles of the major religions and minor religions are basically alike. You can't live in society without having these basic principles in operation. So there's great agreement, except what we do personally about evil. And there, Christianity just breaks out of the pack and runs way ahead of everybody because the Christian's answer for evil in your life and in my life is radically different from any other answer. Radically, radically different. And so we, we got to Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul's passionate appeal to the Jewish community to believe in Jesus as Messiah. And then we got to Romans 12, and you read it, and you say, five times evil is mentioned. Whoa. Romans 13, bang, bang, a couple of times evil is mentioned right up front. So we, we backed up and said, let's talk about evil, and we defined evil. We talked about where evil comes from, the fall of Satan and the fact that we are free moral agents. We can make decisions in and of ourselves. And then we said, what are the answer to evil? And we've dealt with evil in various genres, in various environments. Now it becomes up close and personal, right where you live and right where I live. And Paul in chapter number 12 here tells us how we are to operate in an evil, broken world, even though the victory has already been accomplished in this mopping up phrase when old Slewfoot is still trying to destroy God's purpose for your life and for my life. So Romans 12 tells us, beginning in verse 9, love without hypocrisy. There's not a whole lot of that running around, by the way. Love totally, sincerely, without wax. That's the meaning of the word. Just genuinely. Love no matter what, no matter how. We think love is a feeling and an emotion. Love is something you do. Love, agape love, is something that God empowers his sons and daughters to do in Christ Jesus. We are to love without hypocrisy, with a pure love. And then he tells us two things we have to do. The first, do you see it there, is to abhor evil. And the second is to cling to good. Abhor evil. The word abhor there may be translated in your Bible, hate, right? 
Got a Bible. How many have a Bible that says hate there? See? Yeah, yeah, it says hate. The word abhor and hate there, uh, it means to be horrified of. In other words, we are to be horrified of evil. Evil should frighten us. We're, we, it's a horrible thing. Literally, we know Jesus hated a lot of things. Do you remember that? Oh, I thought hate was bad. Oh, no. Why was Jesus such a hater of so many things? It's because Jesus was a genuine lover of so many things. And when you love something, you know, God loved the world. God loves all inhabitants of the world. Therefore, he hates things that destroys the world. He hates things that destroy those who were created in his image. Therefore, his hatred is stronger than our hatred because his love is infinite and his love is so much stronger. Now, look, look at what Jesus hated. He hated death, D-E-A-T-H, death. Lazarus died. He, he hated it. He wept. He hated death. Don't take de death for granted. Don't Go back in Ecclesiastes and say, there's a time to live, there's a time to die. That's Old Testament stuff, folks. That's true, OT style, but in the New Testament, there's the resurrection, the life, and the new heaven and new earth. See, Christianity is a very physical faith, very physical faith. And so Jesus hated death. Also, Jesus hated people who exploited religious people. He hated that. He cleansed the temple of money changers, exploiting people who wanted to give something in worship. Do we have any of that today? Absolutely. When Ben was a teenager, he was watching some telecast, and somebody said, if you'll send us $100, you'll get, I don't know, $1,000 back. Ben watched that thing as a teenager, and he made a call. He said, by the way, how much have you given and got it back? Why don't you just give and you'll get rich? I don't need to get rich. You do it if this works like that. You know, some kind of vending machine situation that you hear. That is godless. It doesn't mean that God doesn't bless us when we're blessing him, certainly. But it may not come back in Cohen, in Hamilton's. That's, that's heresy. The idea, if you have enough faith, you're going to get well. Certainly, I believe in healing faith. And I see God does unilaterally heal. And, and we know he heals all of his children, either in this life or in heaven. He heals all of his family. I understand that. But to put this and depress God and say, I command God in Jesus' name, that's heresy, folks. God hates the exploitation of people's religion. Also, Jesus hates the exploitation of children. He said, if you lead a child astray, it's better they put a chain around your neck and weight it and drop it in the depth of the ocean. The exploitation of children. We are seeing that today unbelievably so. Did you read what is happening in Lincoln, Nebraska? You know, I couldn't make this up. When I read it, I said, oh, this, <laughs> this must be a joke. It's, it can't be accurate. But evidently, the superintendent of schools and the school board there said they, they did not want to be gender specific with the children. What is that? What is that? And they asked the parents if they wanted 
the boy to be called a boy or the girl to be called a girl. They were going to refer to the girls with a G word and the boy with a boy words, and they didn't have to be, go by either title if they did not want to do it. And they said, teachers should not say in the school system, boys and girls or girls and boys. They need to have a gender bread, gender bread, like, you know, variety of a lot of things there. Oh, yeah, I can't make this up. And said, and the children, uh, you call them uh, purple penguins. Don't call them boys. Say, oh, you purple penguins, we're going to get up and go out. Don't call them boys and girls. Let me tell you something. That is deadly, 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 deadly. When I was coming up for a lot of years, I hated girls. You did too, guys, and girls hated the guys. With this confused agenda that we have in this overly, overly aggressive, politically correct world, I would have thought I was a homosexual. <laughs> sure. That's how crazy this is, and children are struggling with a lot of things. God help us if they have to struggle with identity as to what they are and what they are about and be so confused by this. This is a deadliness that is destroying many of our children. God, Jesus hates that. He says, abhor evil, right? But then he says, he said, not only abhor evil, but we are to cling to that which is good. And then Paul tells us what is good. That's important we know what good is because we've already discovered that many times evil now is passed off as good and good is passed off as evil. Have you noticed we talked about that? And by the way, I took these verses and I share this with you. I hesitate to because it's so personal. I try to pray the scripture many times. You ever pray the scripture? You pray God's word into you. And you read it and you say, Lord, am I living up to that? No, no, that's not you. And you begin to pray, Lord, help me by your spirit. You pray the Bible. That will just really give you some moments of tears and celebration and anxiety. And, and you feel so unclean and unworthy. But you pray, pray this in. This is what it looks like. He's saying, if we're to cling to what is good, this we have a different kind of heart. We have a loving heart. He says what it is. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, trouble, sickness, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That's, that's a test. When you look at that, they say, oh, that's nice. That's fine. That's good. No, Lord, do I measure? Do I really have a loving heart? That's what a loving heart looks like. It, you can figure it out. The Spirit will tell you as it's told me. You pray that in. And then finally, he talks about, do we have a blessing heart? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's not profanity, by the way. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In other words, a lot of people, we're with them, and we don't feel like they're a blessing to us. We, we hear a, 
They suck the life out of you. You can't have too many of those in your repertoire of friends, by the way. God help you if you're married to one. <laughs> but we are to be in the blessing business. I'd love to take time and put my hand on everybody's head and say, Lord, lead them. I'd love for you to put your hand on my We're to bless. We're to lift up. We're to encourage. We're to rejoice with. Cry with those who cry. Laugh with those who laugh. We're to be a blessing. We're to have a heart that blesses. Don't you love to be around people that are blessing you genuinely? Genuinely. By the way, this is without hypocrisy. This is the bottom line of love. And then finally, we're to have a humble heart. Beginning verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So this is talking about how we abhor evil, how we cling to that which is good. These are the kind of hearts that we have, a heart that we develop. It's not natural heart. It's a supernatural heart we have in Christ. And then he tells us we are to be not overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. We can easily get overcome with evil, and we turn back evil for evil. How do you respond to evil? When someone abuses you, slanders you, hurts you, disappoints you, lies to you, lies about you, kicks you, deceives you, how do you respond? How do I respond with that? Let me tell you how not to respond. How not to respond is just be passive. Just you're, you're quiet on the outside of this evil, but you're burning up on the inside. Let me tell you for a long time what I've done, and this is wrong, little confession. When someone would really hurt, defame, slander. By the way, slander can be telling the truth in order to hurt somebody. Do you know that? It's not just lying about it. Slander can tell the truth in order to hurt somebody. When that would happen, what I would do, I'd pretend like they died. <laughs> I'd say, Bill died. He doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> so we didn't know he died. Oh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he's died. I speak to him. <laughs> he's not there. That's not the way to do it. That's not God's way, folks. A little confession. Another way is respond with violence. I'll get you back. I'm smiling, but <laughs> my day will come. <laughs> and then when you see God taking some vengeance, as we're going to take in their life, we say, that away, God, get them. Get them. Get them. That's right. I know that guy hurt me too. But we, we let, we be overcome by evil. But we are to be overcomers. We're overcome evil with good. And we say, well, what does that look like? Tells us right here in the scripture. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Let me tell you something. The Bible is full of nuance. There's some people you will not be at peace with. No matter how you operate on principles we're going to look at, they, they just, they're just not going to be right with you. They're not going to forgive. There are a lot of people that are so, so narcissistic. They're so schizophrenic. Oh, they're so broken, they're so hurt themselves, they just have to be in the constant slashing business. And it says as far as possible. See how nuanced the, the Bible is? See, as far as possible, do, do everything you can. So what does it look like when you overcome evil with good? A, a great illustration of this 
is First uh, Samuel chapter number 24. It's a great story. If you're not familiar with it, David was in hiding. They were in a cave there, Abdullah, hiding from Saul, and Saul was paranoid, said David was going to take over his throne. He was jealous of David, and so he had 3,000 of his troops out looking for David to kill him. David was hiding, and in the marching around, Saul had to make a pit stop, so he went in this cave. He didn't know David was hiding in the cave, and David was hiding there in the shadows, and, and as Paul didn't observe him, he came and took Saul's coat, King Saul, and just cut a little bit of it off, the coat, his cloak, and kept it, and Saul put his cloak back on, walked back out, went out, and a little while later, David went up a high mountain. And he said, oh, my father, great King Saul, this is your son. I honor you. Why are you pursuing me, et cetera, et cetera. He treated Saul with great deference and great reverence and great respect. He said, why are you pursuing me? And David held up the bit of his, his gown and said, in other words, I could have killed you. I was right there. You didn't even know it. Here's part of your gown. And Saul must have looked and said, oh, I didn't notice I was missing. Could you imagine? And then Saul was repentant. He said, you're a better man than I. I, I I'm ashamed. And, and come on back home, David. You're like a son to me. Now, by the way, this happened two or three times in other situations. See, Saul was, you know, he had a problem, schizophrenic, paranoid. I don't know. Had a problem. He was a sick man. He, he couldn't. But look how David did everything he could, did he not, to show that he honored and respected God's anointed. He didn't attack. And so that's how we are to respond. We're to do everything we can. Sometimes you can't do enough to bring things back together in harmony. And do that in your family. Jesus says twice recorded in the New Testament, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek and let him slap that one as well. Now, by the way, when you slap somebody, that's not a physical attack. It's not. If you want to attack somebody, hit them in the nose and the eyes, mouth, other places where you really want to hurt somebody. But you, what is a slap? It, it shames you. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. It, it's condescending. And, and therefore, when someone slaps us on one cheek, how do we respond to that? Do we respond passively? Do we respond with anger? Jesus says we're to turn the other cheek. When we don't turn the other cheek, you know what we're doing? We're saving face. Say, well, you slapped me on one side, but I still got this side. But we turn the other cheek, we're no longer saving face, are we? And that's the issue with a slap. It's not the bodily harm. It's we're saving face. And if we turn the other cheek, we're saying, it doesn't matter about my ego. It doesn't matter how embarrassing that this is. But what's important is that you have harmed me. You have attacked me in this way to shame me. And I'm not trying to save face. I'm putting my ego to one side. Therefore, we separate, listen carefully, our enemy from what the enemy has done or said to us. Very important. Here's what the enemy has done or said. We separate that from the enemy himself, and we ask God with the power to forgive the enemy, and don't worry about saving your face. Then you 
The Bible says you heap coals of fire on their head. And this means you illumine them. You warn them. You, you deal with this. And maybe in your forgiving, you not only build a relationship again, but you're heaping coals of fire on their head, and all of a sudden, you've diffused the whole situation. If you do not turn the other cheek, what happens? You are a part of the evil that has been done. They're, they're controlling you. They still have their hooks in you. They're dominating my thinking. And we have the idea when we sit down with them, like, remember what you did? Bang, 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 bang. We'll rang them if we can. Or we go to somebody else. Let me tell you what that guy did, what he said. He owes me da, 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 da. We go to somebody else and we, we, we take care of that. The Bible says, God will take care of it. Vengeance is mine. He'll take care of it. But we do that. Or we keep playing it to ourselves, reminding ourselves. Let me tell you what he meant. Uh -uh. You don't do any of that. You turn the other cheek. You get your ego out of it. And then you're very aggressive when you turn the other cheek because you take all the venom out of it, all the hatred out of it. And they say, you know, and you do good. It's so tough, folks. This is where the Christian ethic is so radically different from all other ethics. All the other ethics say vengeance, stay away or whatever. We say go there and be a part of the healing and love them. Figure out ways you can honor them. Figure out ways you can do something for them. Let me tell you something. The next funeral in your family when all the family shows up, or the next wedding in your family when all of us had to have our picture made together. Or the next holiday in your family and you go, boy, I sure hate to find my brother or my brother's wife or my sister or my cousin or that kid. You know, we go there with all this anger. Go there with the idea, man, I'm going to love. I'm going to be redemptive. I'm going to build up whatever they said, whatever they've done, my mom, my dad, whatever. Man, it'll change the whole atmosphere. But the Holy Spirit has to give you and me the power to be redemptive. And we have to be, here's the phrase, passionately, aggressively forgiving. Passionately, aggressively forgiving and redemptive. And I'll tell you what it'll do to the person that you don't like, the person that doesn't like you. It'll just knock them off balance they won't have a way to deal with that because you have actively turned the other cheek and you've actively begun to defeat the evil that you know is there. Say, that's easy? No, no, no. It's impossible? No, no, no. Jesus can do it, but I can't? No, no, no. It's the power of God in you and me as we overcome evil with good. That's what it is. What is the cross? It's God overcoming the garbage of the world with good. You see, God is a not way up there somewhere, off and away up there. God is a garbage collector who gets right down in the middle of your garbage and my garbage. That's what the cross is. You see, a lot of people want justice. Oh, I want justice, I'm telling you. A lot of people say, oh, no, no, I want love. I want to love everybody. See, you can't have justice without love. You can't have love without justice. We say, you know, 
I want to be just. I want to be right with God. You can't be declared just before God unless Jesus Christ, who is just, and he is the justifier. That's what happened on the cross. Justice was established between you and me and God on the cross. Justice was established. God's justice, God's purity, God's holiness was established by Jesus in his death on the cross. Justice was there. Also, love was demonstrated. You see, that's, that's the, the miracle. Love was demonstrated how much God loved us. He sent Jesus, the garbage collector. By the way, you say, this doesn't get God off the hook. What is God on the hook about? Remember way back? God is on the hook by a lot of people say, well, if God is all powerful, he can't be all good or he'd eliminate evil. Remember that? A lot of people put God on the hook about that. The cross really is the answer for that. Jesus is the answer for that. So this doesn't get God off the hook. Oh, yes, it does, because in the cross, God is the hook. He is the hook. In him, we have justice and we have love. Sorrow and love flow healing down. There is the forgiveness. There is the grace. There is the victory over evil is at the cross. Now, I have my pocket, this cross. Maybe you've seen them before. They're wooden crosses. Some call them different names. I, I like it. I mean, I've given these to people in the hospital for a lot of years, and it just sort of fits your hand. Fits your, it, it's a symbol uh, of justice and love. It's a symbol of salvation. It's a symbol of healing. It's a symbol of a new life in Christ. It's a symbol that now God accepts us in his family. It is the power of the cross that enables us to not return evil for evil, but return evil for good, to turn that other cheek, to forget about saving face and think about saving that life and building that relationship. It's the power of the cross that enables us to do that, folks. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, my old burdens, oh, the burdens, oh, it's at the cross. Let me tell you something. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When you and I go to the foot of the cross, we don't look up there and say, ah, I wonder how, how high, how tall is that cross? We don't do that. We go to the cross, we don't say, you know, I wonder how long the arms of the cross. You know how many, you know how many feet? How long are the arms of the cross? We don't do that. You go to the cross, we want to say, you know, I wonder how much that cross weighs. I, you know, it's pretty heavy, but it would there. I wonder how much it weighs. We don't do that. We go to the cross. We just want to know, is that cross high enough to reach to heaven? Is that cross, the arms of that cross, are they long enough to include somebody that has so much garbage in their life now and in the past? Is the arms long enough to include somebody like me who's been in waste management and instead of garbage elimination. Can, can somebody like me, full of garbage, are those arms long enough to include me? And we ask, does that cross weigh enough to tip the scales of grace and forgiveness on my behalf? See, that's personal, isn't it? At the cross. Well, before we end today's program, Dr. Young is in the studio with me to answer a question from today's message. 
Dr. Young, in practical terms, how do we wield the sword of God's Word in a world where people simply refuse to listen to the message of the Bible? Well, sometimes there's no hope of reconciliation because of toxic relationships or the other person is not interested in that. And we see this in the Bible. Jesus said, when they do not hear your word, he sent out those 70. He said, shake the dust off your feet. And we have to do that many times in relationship. We may forgive and pray for those individuals, but as far as we know, if we've done everything possible to bring about reconciliation and it was not there on their part, then we have to go and move in our own way and pray for them and move out and continue with our life. There are times in individual relationships you have to simply shake the dust off your feet and move away from this relationship or move away from this situation. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.